This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for January 24th, 2024. The NPC podcast is where we discuss and consider the pharma industry's purpose, process, and people and today we'll continue the healthcare conversation. This program is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving and Impress is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Impress tailored best-in-class solutions at www.impress.com. Today's guest is Corinne Buchanan-Russell of the group Advancing Black Talent in Pharma, Corinne will join your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. And to start today's conversation, here's Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Happy New Year 2024 to all, and welcome back to the NPC podcast from the National Pharmaceutical Congress. I'm your co-host, Mitch Shannon. Returning to our podcast gondola high atop Pill Hill, we're looking out right now on the skating rink at the famous intersection of Capitan Court and Dick Mackay Crescent. My personal resolution for the coming year, because you were bound to wonder about it, is to try to reduce my sarcasm levels by about 15% on the urgent recommendation of my wife. Across the gondola for me is James Shea, the general manager at the Council for Continuing Pharmaceutical Education in Montreal. And Jim, inquiring minds need to know if you've made any resolutions this year. Well, I'll tell you, I've had a lot of suggestions. You know, according to my wife, I'm inconvenient, I'm expensive, I'm time-consuming, and I'm also boring. So I'm trying to break out of that by becoming a professional pickleball player sponsored by Crocs. So I'm, and I'm not even going to play in sport mode. So, you know, it's going to be a challenge. Well, I think anything is forgivable except boring. So on that note, uh, Mr. Mark McElwain, the pharmacy industry consultant and health policy expert, is our resident authority on resolving to do better. He's with us in the gondola for another year of knowledge exchange and sharp quips. Marcus, what do you resolve to do in 2024? Well, I've already kept the resolution not to make resolutions. But this year, I am going to try to limit the time I spend following that slow train wreck that is the U.S. primaries and election run-up. It's just too frustrating. Yeah, it will leave more time for following the fastest-growing form of media, That would be podcasts. What better way to find your favorite niche? You landed on a positive note. I like that. Very good. So collectively, we are your NPC podcast hosts, known as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the really good brand names won't be revealed until the Super Bowl halftime show. And those might include Sofa So Good, Jitters Coffee Shop, and the Am I Gone Funeral Home, uh, all of which are actual businesses. Uh, Go ahead and Google them. So let's welcome into our gondola the first guest of the new season, Corrine Buchanan-Russell. Corrine is the franchise head of rare diseases and rare blood disorders at Sanofi. More importantly for this conversation, which is occurring on Martin Luther King Day in the U.S., uh, she's also the co-founder of the group Advancing Black Talent in Pharma, or ABTIP, which launched in December of 2021. The website is uh, abtip.org. Corrine, great to see you. Oh, great to be here. Thank you for that. Very nice introduction. <laughs> Can you start by telling our listeners a little bit more about uh, ABTIP and its current vision? 
Yeah, no. So thanks for that question. And, 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 you know, again, thank you for having me and having AB tip at this first event for the year. You mentioned that we were founded in 2021 of December, and that is actually very accurate. We are a group of like-minded, Black, talented individuals who are part of the pharmaceutical and life sciences sector for a number of years, myself, well over 30 plus years in the industry. And we've really kind of come together with the ex express intent of really elevating and achieving a sustained representation of Black communities in the Canadian pharmaceutical and life sciences sector. We really have basically three pillars that we operate under, develop, which is building awareness about this amazing industry that we have and careers and opportunities that, are, that exist within in the industry, empower, which is for those that are in the industry as Black talent to really elevate and, and grow their experiences and their careers by giving them the tools and resources needed to do so. And then the last thing that we really, in terms of our three pillars, is engage and this is a lot about what we're doing even here today, which is really raising the awareness of the barriers and the specific challenges that uh, Canadian Black talent face in our life sciences sector today. So thank you for having us. Great, Corinne. Hi, it's Mark. So I'm wondering what inspired you to co-found Advancing Black Talent in Pharma and what impact do you hope this organization will have on the industry in future? Well, Mark, you know, one of the things I said it kind of at the beginning that I've been in this industry for quite some time expand on was I feel that based on my experience, I was actually the only and first black female to join the industry. And when I tell you the number, if you could see my face, you'd probably think that she's lying a little bit because that's what I've been told over 36 years in this industry. And I started off as a sales rep. I carried the bag and I was the only for the longest, longest while. And even as I stopped carrying the bag and moved into different roles, all the positions that I held, I couldn't find another person that either looked like me or understood me or, that, or experiences that I had. And then, so it was actually serendipitous that I ran into a few other women as we attended a WLP, another acronym for another group that's supporting diversity in Canada. I attended WLP and found, looked across the room and saw three other amazing black ladies that I was like, what, what, what are you doing here? Like, I, I thought I was the only one. And they also did the same, kind of gave me that same look. It's like, what are you doing here? I thought I was the only one. And we were surprised to find ourselves in this common space with a lot of commonalities in, in terms of the challenges we faced. And it, in, in that time that we connected, we felt, you know, th there had to be something different. There had to be somewhere where we could create a different sense of uh, community, a sense of uh, representation, and support career growth and mentor people. Because one of the things that we all said we lacked is the ability to look around and find somebody that could help us in our career trajectory and as we understood or came to understood the industry that we were in. Okay. So it may be better than it was 36 years ago, but I wonder if you can share your perspective. Don't keep saying that number out loud, please. It just you know, we just kind of go past the number of years and just, you know, I round up to 30 plus now. So it may be better than the last century, but can you share your perspective on the current state of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the farm industry in Canada? So first of all, I'll start with Canada as one of the most amazing countries, right? I think that we all agree and we live here for that reason. But, you know, when you say the words diversity, equity, and inclusion, we are in a country with diversity. But in industry, and as we, we look at different positions in industry, that I don't think that that really truly exists. Canada, actually, within Canada, um, our, our 
Statistics Canada tells us that they're the Black population is the third largest racialized population in Canada, of which about 40% of them were born here. In fact, some research done by a group called the Social Determinants of Inequities in, in Health for Blacks really outlined that there has been a systemic series of inequities in power, resources, and opportunities that discriminate against Black um, Africans, uh, people of African descent. Now, I say that because as I said at the beginning, we are a country of diversity. I, I look around and everywhere I do go and see, I see more of diverse people. I speak to people and they speak about how diverse this country is. But there are certain things that are limiting for members of the Black population. And there are certain things that exist in our society that continue or have continued for a number of decades to perpetuate a situation where you will not see Black talent in industries like the pharmaceutical sector, despite the types of jobs and, and the, the diversity of, of opportunity that exist. One of the principal underlying factors that I like to bring to people's attention is that only until recently, and as of recently as of the end of 2024, did we do away with things like streaming or academic streaming that in the early years of one's education, we actually have a system in Ontario that would separate those that would go on to higher academic achievement at grade nine for those versus those that don't. And that is such an important time in one's life that, you know, you don't really realize it certainly as you're going through it, but it is such a, also a determinant of one's trajectory. And according to uh, the Minister of uh, Education, 53% of black students are actually streamed out of the academic pathway. So streaming out means that means you don't go on to university. And if you don't go on to university, you don't go on to, to professions of a higher um, opportunity. Now, it's not just Blacks, really. It's really Black and Indigenous peoples that are the most affected by that. Because when they did the, the, took a look at that data, of the same comparison of similar cohorts, 81% of white students actually go on to actually academic streams but also 80% of other racialized groups go on to academic endeavors. So you really are placing a, a different kind of pressure on the Indigenous and Black students in their early years. So if you're at grade nine and your decision, the decision's been made for you, a lot more difficulty in getting out of that stream where you're going off to you know, uh, college or um, other kinds of, uh, of education, but not the university streams. And we all know what's the basic criteria to get into this industry. You need at least a university education. So I say that when I look at Canada and our industry, things have changed. Certainly, I'm not the only anymore, but things have still a long way to go because I can tell you only till recently have I actually hired my first Black talent in an industry. And I've been, I've been hiring people for a number of years now. 36 almost um yeah. so it's jim here uh so you talked about you know the idea of low numbers historically of your lookalike peers um and you talked about streaming and academia yeah, i i was streamed i didn't even know what was going on you know it's, it's like you're not even part of that you're not even aware so so you got those two things as let's say foundational but once somebody gets through those two wickets you know, what are some of the other challenges that, you know, Black talent is facing in pharma? 
So if you look at the, this kind of goes back to the point I just finished raising. If you look at the talent pool on an interview slate, if you look at, and, and this is where I kind of go back to some of the comment I made about being in the industry for a long time. Back in the day when I joined, there was a company, Pharmacy Upjohn, right? And there were the guys that carried the alligator bags and they were usually men and pharmacists in training. And that kind of sets the tone, right? This is an industry that has a, a fit and a look and a feel. I remember hiring people because they had certain different skills and they could, you know, connect with our customers in a certain way. So we created these, and for want of a better term, what we think is the best fit for our industry. But that fit was very homogeneous. Um, when we, you know, branched out and had a few more women in it, great. But generally, they all kind of looked the same and came with the same background. So until we started moving out from that, we really are still perpetuating certain norms. And so, you know, I can tell you recently, as recently as, as a few weeks ago, um, I had had a conversation with somebody about, well, they don't really have the, the same vibe or they don't carry the same energy as what I I'm used to seeing in this role. And until we open our minds and open our, our, our willingness to see a, that roles can be delivered with excellence, but with a different kind of person, it's very difficult to, to break through. So many of the many of the talent that you see today, and and I, I spoke about, you know, 40% of the Canadians are black Canadians are born here. Well, that means 60% come from another country. So there's a lot of black talent being absorbed into Canada that aren't getting the chance to actually get into industry because they don't fit. Why? Well, they don't have Canadian experience. They didn't go to school here. For some people, they actually worked in industry, same companies, but in other countries. And so I, I see that and I've seen it not just for black talent, but I certainly have seen it as well for some of our European um, talent that comes to this country. But for the most part, it is a very big hindrance. And if, as we open the door to looking at our talent pool and having broader representation when you are in your interviewing phase, that's going to be a critical time where you can actually change the trajectory. Yeah, I think we tend to talk about fostering in a more inclusive workplace, but maybe there has to be a more aggressive wording to that. Maybe there has to be some kind of forcing or, you know, what are your thoughts on what we should be doing as an industry? It's funny. Uh, the word forcing suggests that, you know, things don't happen unless you put in benchmarks and guardrails, et cetera. I mean, I'd love to get to the point where we'd no longer force. But if you were, for example, to have such an issue of, um, inappropriate work uh, behavior in the workplace, we would all force everybody to do training. We, and we wouldn't even think anything of it. You'd actually go, oh, what happened? I think something happened. And that's why we're doing this training. And people would line up and, and do the training. You know, whether that be cybersecurity or some sort of important compliance training. Why is this not as important? And can we do more to actually foster the sense that this is as important to any company and its success? And not make it voluntary. Like the whole notion of being diverse shouldn't be voluntary. It should be something that it is, it is the way in which we operate. I'm going right up against the notion of making it mandatory. Because if you, if you believe it and you do it, you shouldn't have to make it mandatory. But if you have to, I think it's important. Get a diverse talent in front of you. Make sure that the people you're looking at come from a, sec, a broad sector, not just one. And then choose your talent. Yeah, that's the secret to strong teams, right? So why are people being narrow-minded in this case? It's very interesting. I mean, 
there's obviously a role for leadership. So what do you think uh, <laughs> leadership should be doing at this point? Um, as a member of, of leadership in a company, I, I think that every one of us has a responsibility. But the first thing I would say to somebody, or at least um, as leaders, is disaggregation. Don't look at everybody and say that they're all the same. Like one of the tendencies is, is well, you know, we've, we've got a lot of people of color in our organization. Oh, that's good. I, I'm not saying that that's, that's not a laudable goal. But understand that we're not all the same. You know, if you say uh, we've got a visible minority pool of, of people in our company, know who they are and understand that their needs are all different. Statistics Canada defines visible minority as 12 categories, 12. How can you be thinking about groups and their needs and clumping 12 of them together? Let me, let me rhyme off a few of what that 12 makes up. So visible minorities, according to um, Statistics Canada, is South Asian, Chinese, Black, Filipino, Latin America, Arabic, South East Asian, West Asian, Korean, Japanese. Like, how do you say that they're all the same? Like, I've just named a few. But if your designation is we look at everybody the same, then you really are not doing your best to achieve diversity, equity, and inclusion, or at least to be understanding of the differences. So disaggregation is the first thing. Listen to who they are, know what their needs are. And then, as I said, kind of really move beyond as a leadership, beyond the performative task of saying, yes, we have a DEI mandate. Make it meaningful. Set goals for yourself, for your organization. Because then you really become a place where you're fostering true diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're speaking with Corrine Buchanan-Russell of ABTIP, Advancing Black Talent in Pharma, here on the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress. So Corrine, is there a strategy for individuals as far as creating equal opportunities for career advancement in pharma? Anything that you would be able to recommend? Interesting. I'd say to that, a strategy for anybody should be for more or less the consistent things, right? Like, don't let your, your skills and your capabilities become obsolete. Take an inventory of yourself. Ensure that you understand what your gaps are and look for ways to actually fill those gaps. That's a given. Then look for groups that are available to you. Do you have ERG in your organizations, employee resource groups that, can, that you, know, you can use as mentors and support of how your organization grows its talent and, and, and leverage that? We have advancing groups like Advancing Black Talent and Pharma. Leverage them. Find mentors, talk to people. It's the same techniques that everybody uses, but you need to find those that can understand you, find allies and advocates. They are there. I didn't get to my career progression without an ally and an advocate. It just doesn't, didn't happen, right? I know that I had you know, people in my corner could see my talent and were willing to support me. Well, continue to look for those, build your network. Those are skills that every individual, you know, looking to grow their career and their career potential in our industry should be doing. And I would just say that leverage those resources that have places that enable you to see more people like you and, or at least those that are empathetic to your unique challenges and support you as, as a mentor or a coach. Green, it's Mark again. So I have a couple of questions that follow on and, you know, it's, a, they're about training. And first, from the perspective of those who can provide greater diversity in pharma, 
So what role can continuous learning training play in building a successful career in life sciences? I mean, should companies, you know, be pushing people to ensure this happens, providing the budget, that sort of thing? Yeah, it's a really good question, especially when it comes to funding. And I feel like the diversity, equity, and inclusion department of any company is probably the least funded, but most important when you think about talent that you want to acquire as well as bring into your organization and grow. Funding has always and continues to be a challenge. I mean funding to support those mentorships or those programs that can help individuals better understand their gaps as well. But it is only one piece of the equation. I think that it is also when you go in and talk to your manager, he or she needs to be on the same page as understanding where you're coming from, but being open to having an open and honest dialogue about whatever your needs are. And I would say that it kind of reflects back on traditional manager and employee conversations. They're often the toughest ones to have and have an open, honest dialogue about where your strengths lie and where your, where your weaknesses are and getting people to be honest about that. That said, I think that I kind of alluded to, you know, ERGs and mentors as great resource assets. ABTIP, again, is one of those places where you can continuously find uh, or find resources that will help you build, you know, enhance your self-development, can look at your individual competencies and really, really, uh, truly realize one's own growth and career aspirations. Jim here as a training guy. I hear, hear the message, you know, travel and training end up being cut budget-wise. Uh, training as, even if the programs are costing nothing, mentor situation, they cost money and opportunity costs. So yeah, it's it's really up to leadership and, and the culture to try and build that into the organization. And that, that's the way to succeed. I mean, so yeah, I hear that message. So I understand also that you're a member of a, a group of women of color in pharma. Can you share any of those initiatives that you're doing with that, that organization? So my role in Women of Color and Farmer, or otherwise known as WOSIP, has, has changed over the last couple of years. But I will say this, that WOSIP, or Women of Color, is a U.S.-based organization. What that has done is actually given me exposure to that many more women of color who have succeeded with varying degrees of national, international, and global leadership. And so what we're doing at ABTIP is really leveraging what we can see from that group understanding that our issues are very are different but not and but at the same time similar to what our colleagues face in the US the focus that we have here is we recognize that the issue of black talent is not just women in this industry but it's women and men and hence uh, ab tip is distinct but what is available to them and that we leverage is that uh, is that we've got they've got a lot more mentors leaders, you know, we're looking at taking advantage of the mentoring and coaching program that, that, that they have that we would like to bring into our talent here in Canada. So a lot of exposure to different types of programs on a scale that, you know, you know what it is to live as the cousin in the North. What we have access to sometimes is less so, but there's a lot of learnings that we can take from our colleagues in the South of the border. So that's certainly how I work with WOSIP and what initiatives that they have put in place and that we're leveraging in terms of the way in which we think about what we need to do in Canada. Certainly helps with efficiency and impact, that's for sure. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. 
So uh, as we wind down this very interesting podcast, uh, we're going to invite you now to play our word association game. So just go ahead and say the first thing that comes to mind in response to each of the following words or phrases. So are we ready? I'm ready. Leadership. Opportunity. Empowerment. Self. Hmm. Inclusion. Belonging. Diversity. Canada. Equity. Biases. Accessibility. Allyship. Well, there we go, gentlemen. I think that's a, a resounding success. The The tote board is uh, at, again, huge numbers here. Uh, so a Googleplex worth of points for those uh, those answers. Wow. Nice. And finally, uh, it's uh, my pleasure to invite you to put on your soothsayer's hat and enter our prognostication corner. And corner spelt with K uh, for this special Martin Luther King Day. So uh, what bold predictions do you have about the sciences industry uh, or the life sciences industry over the next 12 to 24 months, or even longer if uh, your hat's particularly fine-tuned today? Well, I mean, on this MLK Day and, you know, leading up to Black History Month, I am very much confident that we are going to continue to move in the right direction. But we are facing some significant headwinds, folks. There are companies today being challenged and sued on DEI policies and approaches. And I think that what we need to do, especially as Canadians, is to continue to think about our opportunity to be more diverse as opposed to being less. Being it, this is not a zero sum game. It's not about uh, you know one group getting ahead at the, the uh, expense of another. It's our time to really show the world, as well as our Canadian talent, that this is the country. This is the country where opportunities are made because you are bringing your skill and your talent to play. And I do think that as companies become more determined, but also honest with their DEI efforts, we will still see continued growth over the next 12 months and moving forward. It just has to stop being just a check mark and being a real important and d- d- directive opportunity in our country. Mm. Well, Corinne, it's wonderful to get your perspective on uh, DEI and the life side at, at any time. And it's especially meaningful that we're having this conversation on Martin Luther King Day. And the episode will be released just before Black History Month. So thank you for that. And thanks for spending some time with us today. Best wishes to you and AB Tip for the coming year. Thank you very much. And I look forward to staying connected, but also look inviting all of you to keep an eye out for our Advancing Black Talent initiatives during the Black History Month. That we will do. That we will do. And to everyone out there in NPC podcast land, thank you for listening. We'll be back to speak with you again next week. If you've got questions for Corinne, send an email to health at chronicle.org. We want to know what you thought about today's conversation. Try sending your comment as a voice clip attachment and watch the magic unfold. You might just find yourself part of a future episode. We hope you enjoyed today's NPC podcast. If you did, please like it, rate it, recommend it, and make a point of sharing it with your network. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, or to keep things simple, ask your smart device to play the National Pharmaceutical Congress podcast on Audible, Spotify, Amazon Music, or TuneIn Radio. 
The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. Check them out at www.impress.com. I'm your announcer, Laverne Van Buren speaking. This podcast was produced by Jeremy Visser, with help from Rayla Visser. Research for this program came from Amy Ray Elder. The musical theme is performed with lighthearted abandon by the NPC Podcast Orchestra, under the direction of Maestro Gates Milbrook. We'll be back to speak with you again soon.